Uh, we spent the last few weeks when we've really been looking at the heart of who Jesus is, the, uh, the character of Jesus as He's approaching the end of His life, how Jesus is just unwavering. He doesn't change who He is and how He responds and, and the way that He treats people and who His priority is. You and I doesn't change. He is steadfast and unchanging without being dependent on the circumstances or the surroundings or the situation. He is the Son of God who came to earth for you to be the Savior of your soul. We talk as Christians about how every day we want to become a little bit more and more like Him. And we have seen in some of the toughest days of His life who He really is. And it gives us a good example of how it is that we can shape our life to be like Him. Well, today we've got the opportunity to turn the corner just a little bit as this passage we're going on in chapter 18 continues. And we get to look at a little bit of a different perspective if we want to. You don't have to. I can't do this for you. But what we can look at is the way that one of the people who would be in a lot of ways just like us, one of His disciples, one of His followers, how it is that He responded when things started getting a little bit more pressure-filled, when the temperature went up, when life wasn't quite so easy. So I'm going to invite you to do is to look at yourself as we go through these verses. What matters to you? Who matters to you? And I don't just mean Jesus. I hope that's the answer. But how about the other people around you? Who do you stand by and what do you stand for is what we're really going to talk about today. So if you've got your Bible, you want to follow along with the 18th chapter starting in the 12th verse. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound Him. Tough guys they were. This detachment of the Roman army, a hundred or more. The leaders from the church, the temple, the religious people, they all show up in the middle of the night. They ask who they're looking for, and Jesus says that He is the man that they're after. And He says, as long as you're looking for Me, let the other guys go. So what do these tough guys do that outnumber Him a couple hundred to one? They tie Him up so He can't get away. Real tough guys. And what occurs to me And it's so often the feeling that I have in our world today, and you can't really say it anymore without being politically incorrect. But those people who want to stand against God always do it in a way that's cowardly. They don't stand up to the truth the way that Jesus does. And this passage is filled with cowards today with the single exception of the humble strength shown in every action and every word spoken by Jesus. Verse 13 goes on, First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. We don't know a lot about him, that honest guy. He would likely have lived in the high priest's palace. There's something that suggests that uh, maybe he had been the high priest for a while himself. It tended to be a family position that was handed down. He was used to a life of luxury and ease. He may well have been the leader of the Sanhedrin, the law-keeping arm of the church back then. Whatever the case, he was a Jew that the other Jews held in very high regard and his influence was extremely important in all matters of religious law. And the Roman government, as long as the Jewish people kept their folks in line, the Roman government pretty much let them do what they wanted. And so whatever this guy had to say was important. So now they're talking about Caiaphas, the son-in-law, who had advised the Jews 
that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. This is before they even brought Jesus to him. Caiaphas says, you know, it would be a really good idea if somebody died. He told the Jewish public that. It doesn't give any logic. doesn't give any reasoning. There's no trial. There's no evidence. But the high priest of the Jewish people said, it would be a really good idea if somebody died. One man. Jesus never had a chance at a fair trial. See, Caiaphas was convinced that he was going to maintain that chokehold that he had on the temple and on his power and the Jewish people. And the way to do it would be to prevent a revolt by showing the Romans that they're going to take the biggest troublemaker they've got and they're just going to take his life and do away with them. Caiaphas had made a decision before anything else happened because he knew if he did, he'd maintain his control of the Jewish people and the Romans would leave him alone. Verse 15, Simon Peter. We've heard about Simon Peter, haven't we? He's the the rash, brash, outspoken one. He's the one that jumps to action sometimes before he thinks. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. This was going to be the first trial. This other disciple is one of much speculation. The Bible doesn't tell us who he is. Could have been John. John has a habit of not naming himself and kind of keeping a humble posture. It could well have been him. He may have had uh, prior dealings with the folks uh, at the high priest's house. Just didn't want to use his book. But there's also people that say, eh, it probably wasn't him. It could have been Brother James. could have been one of the other disciples. It could have been some wealthy, well-connected guy that was close to Jesus. Some have even suggested it might have been Lazarus. The truth is, we just don't know. So rather than getting hung up, on that disciple who isn't named, we need to focus on the one who is, and that's Simon Peter. Verse 16, But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and he spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The other disciple knew well enough that he could get Peter through the door and past the guard such as it was. So there's another person that we need to pay attention to, the girl, a servant girl. Pretty well forgotten. No name is listed, and we know back in that day that it wasn't like she had a whole lot of authority. She was the one that kept watch at the door. If the wrong person tried to enter, she'd no doubt give out a yell as an alarm and alert everyone inside. Turns out she plays an awful prominent role for just being a servant girl. So we go on. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You're also one of this man's disciples, are you? Are you, are you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I'm not. A young woman that had no position, no authority, no power, couldn't do a thing to hurt Peter. In fact, it probably would have been fine if he didn't even respond to her. No one would have really raised an eyebrow. But she says, you're not one of his followers, are you? Peter's response is, I'm not. It's significant to notice who that first denial that Jesus said would happen went to. The first of three denials that Peter would make of Jesus was to a servant girl. The first person to confront him with the truth of who he was is identified as a servant and a girl. No name, no authority, no consequence. And yet that simple question to Peter elicited not only a lie and the first of three denials, it also caused him to say something that Jesus had said so similarly that we cannot ignore. 
And this is the part where you and I have to really start paying attention. Because Jesus was asked not long ago who he was. They said they were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus' response was, I am he. The servant girl goes to Peter, the closest disciple to Jesus. The servant girl looks at him and says, are you one of his disciples? Are you a follower of hers? Peter answers almost the same as Jesus did. But Peter said, I am not. One word. One simple word apart. Makes all the difference in the world. We don't have to say very much. And we can say an awful lot. See, Jesus claimed his truth and who he was in order to save Peter's life and yours and mine by acknowledging that Jesus was the I Am. It set off and set in motion a whole series of events that would end in Jesus losing his life. Peter, however, denied the truth, denied his Savior, in an attempt to do what he thought was to save and preserve his own life. He was selfish, he was a liar, and he was a coward. And I wonder how much like him I can be. I wonder if I was really pushed to the wall about what I believe. I wonder what my answer really would be. It's been easy in my life because I've never really been pushed in a difficult situation. Uncomfortable, yes. But never difficult. And this, for Peter, wasn't even difficult. How often do we try to save our own skin while denying our Savior? I wonder about that. Jesus says, I am He. Peter said, I am not. What would you say? What would be your answer in a situation that makes you uncomfortable? Would you claim to be a Christian? Would you accept that name? Or would you do what Peter did and say, no, I'm not? Because probably nobody's going to raise an eyebrow. Probably nobody's going to think twice about it. Going on in verse 18, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. That little sentence tells us two things about Peter. There's two things that he's worried about. He knows Jesus' fate because Jesus has already told him. He had an opportunity to stand up for his Savior, his Rabbi, his Teacher, his Messiah, his Lord. He had a chance to stand up and tell that girl who he was. But he didn't. This verse tells us what was more important to him. The first thing that was more important was physical comfort over his spiritual well-being. He was worried about being cold. So by saying something to her that would allow him to stick around, he got to stand and warm himself by the fire. And I wonder if that's a decision that he decided was a good one in the end. He wanted to be warm, but he didn't want to be known as a follower of Jesus. Second thing he did, found himself standing in a group of servants and officers. In the way the world talks today, he was standing with the enemy. He was standing with the very people who were responsible to help see that Jesus was going to end up dying. See, Peter wanted to stand with the crowd. He wanted to be one of them more than he wanted to stand with Jesus and stand apart from the crowd. It was more important to Peter that he fit in with the masses than that he stand beside his Lord and Savior. And I wonder, what about me? Is it more important that I think that I say something or do something to try to get the world to like me? Or is it more important that I'm telling the truth about who Jesus is to me? 
So what about you? How important is fitting in with the crowd? How important is it to fit in with the wrong crowd? You ever deny Jesus just to try to fit in? I essentially did once. It's what pushed me into ministry ultimately. I've told you the story. I was at a company Christmas party and one of the managers that worked there asked why it was that my wife and I were so excited about the church that we went to. She said, I'm going through some tough stuff in my life. And I just, you seem like you kind of have it together. Why do you go to that church? Why do you drive all the way across town to go there? And I said, I'd be happy to talk to you, but not tonight. It's a Christmas party. And she went on to make a whole bunch of really, really bad decisions. And when I realized what I had actually done, not just to her, but to Jesus, I actually made the mistake of saying, God, if you give me a second chance, I won't ever do that again. An introvert ends up spending 12 years as an outreach pastor. But you know what? I got a chance to do that over again and again and again and again. Because that time when it mattered, I denied who I was. She knew who I was, just like that servant girl knew who Peter was. And I basically said, no, I'll talk to you later. Now is not very convenient for me. How often do we do that? How often do we give up an opportunity, not to say all the right things, but to just say a little thing? Just to say a simple thing that tells someone who Jesus is to us and why. Verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. What he wanted to know was, who of you were recruited away from the temple, and what's the doctrine that you're using to get them? You're stealing people from my church, and you're growing your own, and I want to know what you're saying. And I chuckle when I read that, because things haven't changed much, have they? Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Nothing of Jesus' life, nothing of His teachings, none of it has been secret. He's been respectful of their faith. He's been respectful of their Scripture. He has been respectful of their leadership all along. But they want to know what it is that they don't know. What's Jesus doing that you're not telling us? Tell us the truth, Jesus. And Jesus says, everything I've ever said, I've done where you can hear me. Verse 21, Why do you ask me, Jesus says? Ask those who have heard me. What I said to them, they know what I said. Jesus is responding directly, respectfully. And what He's saying is, if you don't believe me, ask the people who have listened. Ask the people who have heard it. Ask the people who followed me. They will confirm that what I'm saying to you is true. What Jesus is doing is inviting personal testimony, not a defense. Remember last week we said God doesn't ask us to defend Him. What Jesus is saying is, ask those other people that have been hearing. They'll give you their testimony. They'll tell you what I'm saying is true. And all Jesus ever does is ask us to tell the truth of who He is to us. You don't ever have to tell somebody who Jesus is to somebody else. That's their story. Your story is who Jesus is to you. And if you allow yourself to do that to where you get comfortable, what God will do is bring people into your circle who need to hear your story of who Jesus is. They need to hear your testimony because God has this wonderful way of drawing people who have been through the same heartache and the same grief and the same bad decisions and the same wrong choices as you have. And what they want to know is, is there hope for me? You don't have to tell them someone else's story. You just have to tell them your Jesus story. 
Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? How uncalled for is that? Jesus doesn't say anything argumentative. He isn't being difficult. Nothing. The guy just smacks his hand. And what it does is it lets us know there is a predetermined verdict and a predetermined outcome that's happening here. Jesus didn't act out of line. The officer did. And nobody said anything. He reacted with the arrogance of the court in his favor. And I stopped and I thought for a moment, what could Jesus have done? So the guy, Jesus is bound. His, his hands are tied together. He, he can't even lift a hand to do anything. This officer thinks he's such a tough guy and he smacks Jesus. The guy that's healed the lame and brought sight to the blind. The guy that has done miracles that we can't understand and can't explain other than that he truly is the power of God on earth. Jesus, who raised a man from the grave after three days to new life. Imagine what he could have brought down on that officer in that moment. And yet he did nothing. The almighty power of God was revealed in humble submission and Jesus stood there. His answer to him was, if what I've said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I've said is right, why do you strike me? If you've got evidence, bring it out. However, if you don't, and if what I say is true, then what would you hit me for? You've got nothing that you can say that what I said is wrong. What right, what reason did he have? But you know, I thought about it. We do the same thing, don't we? We, we judge people. We decide who people are before we've ever met them, don't we? We decide based on how they look, where they live, where they come from. We decide on who they hang around with. We, we decide on all kinds of reasons on their reputation before we've ever met them. We decide who people are and what they're about. We don't know them, but we make a decision about whether they're good or bad or guilty or innocent without having any idea who they really are, without knowing the details of the truth, and yet God is in those details. The real truth of who we are as people exists in those details. That's why you hear me say around here all the time, we're not going to judge and condemn people. It's not our job. We're here to love them. We're here to get to know them. We're here to ask their story and how it is that we can be church and community for them and with them. For you and with you. Honest then sent him to the Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus was once again bound so that he couldn't run, couldn't defend himself, and he was sent off to the high priest without answer or apology. Took a smack on the hand. Nobody ever did anything to explain to him why. So are they just all a bunch of cowards? Are they guys that have a little bit of authority and take it way too far? Maybe they're afraid of Jesus. Maybe they were acting out because they understood who He was. But what about you? I said, you've got the opportunity to think about yourself. What do you say when someone asks you whether or not you believe in Jesus? Are you an enthusiastic yes, let me tell you why, or do you change the subject? What do you do when people ask you about what church you go to? What do you do when they ask you why? Do you tell the truth or do you say, eh, I don't go that often? 
How would you describe the way that you live your life, the way that you represent and stand for Jesus in your day-to-day activities? And do the people that you know, your family, the people you work with, your friends, do they know what you would say that you believe and why? Or is it easier just to be like Peter and say, I'm not, and blend into an unbelieving world where nobody really asks any questions? Who are you? How do you live? What is your relationship with Jesus? That's what this passage is really all about for us. What do you stand for? Who do people know you to be? What do they know is important to you? So maybe the question is, what's more important to you, to be accepted by the crowd or to be a disciple of Jesus? And if you think it doesn't matter, it happens all the time. It's a question we face constantly. You face it at work. You face it with Christian friends who tell a joke that isn't actually funny, that makes fun of somebody else or a different group of people. You face that question of what do you stand for, what do you believe, what's important to you all the time. And people make decisions about us through our actions long before they listen to our words. They know what we stand for by what we talk about and what we don't talk about. They know what we stand for by the jokes we laugh at and the jokes that we walk away from. They know what we believe in based on what we do on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Do we stand for Jesus or do we stand with the crowd? This whole night, it occurs to me, could have been very different had Jesus only wanted to make it so. We talk about how God is in every detail and how you and I aren't merely details to God. And yet we are in this story all over the place. We're the high priest ready to take Jesus' life without guilt or trial. How quick are we often ready to turn our backs on Him? We're the crowd that's more worried about being warm for a moment than about the reality of burning in the flames of hell for all eternity. Physical comfort over spiritual health. We're the servant girl who asked a simple question, but I want to put a different spin on it for you. And this is what hits home to me. Peter answered because he assumed what she wanted. What if her follow-up question would have been, Peter, are you one of his disciples? And if Peter had said yes, what if she would have said, why? I want to be too. Peter assumed that he knew what she wanted. Peter assumed that he knew where she was coming from. Peter assumed that she was out to get him like he saw them out to get Jesus. What if he had answered honestly that question and what she wanted was to give her heart to Jesus? See, I get that because I turned that other lady away. I have no idea what happened to her. But like I made my mistake, Peter refused. Didn't want any connection. Didn't want to be tied to Jesus in any way. We're Peter denying our Savior for fear of what someone might think of us. And yet Jesus, the very living embodiment of the eternal God of creation, here on earth allowed Himself to be tied up, led around by sinful men, mocked and made fun of, before being hung on a cross for you and I. So what's your response? Are you a follower of His? Who are you? And how will you get that message to the world around you that doesn't believe? 
Because the fact is, we've all got those servant girls around us or people who are represented by that servant girl who want to know why you believe what you believe. Why do you take time out of a beautiful day to go to church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you worry about that? Just do what's fun. Why? 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 And we make the choice every time to join the crowd and take the easy way out or to tell the truth of who Jesus is to us. So who are you? Who is He to you? Let's pray. God, we all make these mistakes. We all sin when we deny You and who You are to us because it's just easier. We think that somehow that's going to save our skins or save us some embarrassment or save us a conversation we think we're not ready to have. And yet, God, every one of us is here this morning, which means You mean something to each of us. Certainly something different because we're not all at the same place, but You mean something to each and every one of us. God, we're surrounded by those people who want to know why we believe what we believe. Why You're important. God, help us not to be like Peter who just denied You without a thought and jumped in with the unbelieving crowd. God, give us the strength and the courage of the conviction of who You are and our belief in You to say, yes, I believe. Jesus is my Savior and this is why. There's a world full of people out there who are dying because they don't know You. And maybe, maybe, when someone asks a simple question to us, They're not looking for an elaborate answer. Maybe they're just looking for the truth. God, help us to be truth-tellers of who You are to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Last thought is this. I am set free. Have you ever thought about what you're set free from? You're set free from the sins when we deny Jesus. We're actually forgiven. I haven't forgotten the times that I have, but I'm set free from the cost, the penalty, the payment of them. You're set free from pain. You're set free from guilt. You're set free from the thing that people fear more than anything else. Death. From the fear of death. Because we know this life isn't all. Jesus proved in His death on the cross and the resurrection from the grave that we don't even have to fear death. Satan has no power. Because you are set free. Thank you for coming this morning. Hope we see you again next week. we got one more song. Have a fabulous week, folks. And you know what? If you get the opportunity to tell somebody the why you believe, give it a try. You'll be awful glad you did. Thanks for coming. One more song.